Hey guys, welcome to another episode of How to Get Ahead with your host, Austin. And today I'm here with special guest, Jessica. Now, Jessica is a career coach and a, a new author. Uh, she just launched her um, new book called uh, Job Dating, which we are going to get into. Uh, available on Kindle, I'm sure she's going to give us a scoop on that. But uh, Jessica, without any further ado, um, tell us a bit more about yourself. Sure. Um, so I actually work full time. Um, I started my career in sourcing and product development and kind of fell in love with making stuff happen. Um, and so I've continued to work in that space, leading teams. Um, I absolutely love working with people. And so a few years ago, I was asked to speak at a business conference and, um, you know, just in a, in a college environment. And so I said, yeah, sure. You know, I'm I love saying yes to that kind of thing and giving back. And so they said our topic is shine like a diamond. So anything you can talk about that that kind of fits into that goal. And so I said, okay, I can come up with something. And I came up with a talk entitled Invincible Sparkle. And it was all about keeping that can-do attitude that you have going into work. You start out work thinking, oh my gosh, I can do anything. I'm going to see the world. I'm going to be so great. And then, you know, that kind of gets chipped away at slowly or, you know, you don't get great feedback or you get told not to say something in a meeting and, and you kind of pull back a little bit, you lose a little bit of that shininess that, that you came into the work world with. And, and that talk had so much good feedback. And, you know, afterwards, people came up and said, I, I, you know, I felt the same way. I felt like, we, you know, no one talks about it. No one talks about, you know, how to reach back and help each other in this particular process, how to keep that shininess, and, and so you know, thank you so much for talking about it. And I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I talk went great, wonderful. And then over the next six to eight months, it kept coming up. So things I had talked about in the talk had come out in like thank you notes from other things or, you know, LinkedIn messages. And so about eight months later, I was like, okay, this is obviously a topic that we need to keep talking about. This is obviously something that must not really be taught in schools, the how to navigate the work world. Um, so then I started it as a blog in March of 2020. And just talking about not only you know my journey, but also things I have learned kind of the hard way of how to interact in the work world. It's not just working hard and doing a good job. It's also communicating what you're doing, how you're doing it. Um, managing expectations, not only of your own goals, but then also the expectations of those around you. And uh, from that, it, it really grew into more of a career coaching space. Um, so we started some courses that go along with that um, for either job seekers or people who are in a newer job or looking to get to their next level and get promoted. Um, and so then this past summer, I actually had a position at a startup company that never quite started up. So I ended up getting laid off uh, the last round of layoffs. So I survived a couple and then um, ended up getting laid off. And I said, you know, this is a really great time to, to put all of this into writing. So I took a couple months and, and wrote my book all about um, kind of that process, not only my process, but then also relating that to the dating process, I and mean, it's something you know going into the work world. You you know what a first date looks like. You know that it's uncomfortable. You know what a you know first boyfriend or girlfriend looks like. You you know kind of what that process is. It might not be the perfect process, but at least it's something familiar. 
And the career process has a lot of those same steps. We think, oh, you know, I have to choose what I'm doing for the rest of my life, you know, day one. No, all adults do not have it figured out. And frankly, we're all trying to figure it out as we go, um, which is kind of what you're doing when you're dating. And when you frame it that way, you take off some of that pressure of finding the perfect thing and the perfect career and picking right the first time and what you're supposed to be doing and how far you're supposed to be you take some of that pressure out and focus on, okay, I'm just learning what I like and don't like. I'm just dating right now. I don't have to get married. I'm just dating. <laughs> um, so wrote that book this summer. Uh, I do have it um, when this podcast drops. I'm actually going to make it free for download on Kindle for you guys um, because I think it's it's full of strategies. It's full of some funny stories of, of my dating experience, some, some stories from interviews that I've been on and, and jobs that I've had. Um, to really show what that journey looks like or can look like and then how to navigate your own. Wow, Jessica. So uh, this is actually why we want to get you on this on the show here because this idea of um, relational intelligence, uh, it, it's a novel concept. It's something that, um, honestly, I, I, I understand how it, how it fits together. I, I never even considered it. I never thought about it. You're, you're absolutely right. We really don't talk about too much how to um, how to navigate once we are in the job, once we are going through that career journey. And I mean, there are a lot of twists and turns. <laughs> let me tell you. And I, I honestly feel like um, kind of having uh, something to relate, uh, kind of what we're going through in, in the uh, work experience. Uh, you know, it, it would obviously make things a bit more palatable, especially when trying to transition and trying to better understand things. So I think for me coming out of school, uh, you know, I came out uh, you know, as an engineer and I was fortunate enough to come into a, a rotation program. All right, so um, my company, they bounced me back from you know South Carolina to California. So I think I would equate that to um, Dating, dating around, <laughs> right? I was, yeah. I was busy. <laughs> okay, and you know, you know, you're right. You know, as I was going through that, as I was experiencing different uh, positions, you know, different, um, you know, spots, locations, I was really able to kind of zero in on exactly uh, who I wanted to take out. You know, what what career path uh, I wanted to go to, and I ended up choosing um, kind of the uh, manufacturing engineering route, and I think, again, I, I was kind of a special case when I was in a rotation program, but a lot of people don't have that. A lot of people are um, kind of set, you know, hopefully they're not, uh, you know, pigeonholed or, or locked in um, to the point where they really can't uh, maneuver out of a position, but uh, I, I can see how that could be uh, a stressor, right? You kind of feel like... Um, okay, well, this is who I'm going to be with. <laughs> okay, let me buckle up. And, um, you know, that's, that's really not the case, especially this day and age. So, again, uh, thank you very much for um, bringing your perspective, sharing this perspective. Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I know for me as well, I started with, with PepsiCo, and they had a very similar rotational program where I got to be warehousing and, and sales and some different pieces and parts. And even two years into my career, trying to move to a totally different industry in a totally different area based on, okay, I know I like these things and I know these things make me excited to go to work, but I don't like these 
things. Putting those together and then finding the industry, I was like, okay, this is my next step. I had a lot of people tell me, right, but you're in, you're in food industry. You're you're not in the hard food industry. It's it's different. And so you, know, you kind of have to start over. And I'm like, I, I'm first of all, I'm perfectly fine starting over, but that's I'm I'm not starting from scratch. I'm starting from experience because I know how to interact with people in this space. I know you know how to manage teams or work with teams. I know how this particular part of the process works. So it's not necessarily those tactical skills that are going to transfer with you once you have a little bit more clarity in your process. But you've learned something. I mean, you look at um, one of the first dates I went on, I went on a, a date with a guy who took me to a roller rink. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, I rollerbladed as a kid. This will be great. Like, I can rollerblade. This will be fun. So we get there, and we go up to where you ride your roller skates, and he was like, we need two pairs of roller skates. What size are you? And I'm like, oh, no, no, I want to get rollerblades. I, I can't roller skate. I'm a rollerblader. And he was like, no, 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 it'll be cute. We're like, hold on to each other, and it'll be a better day if we just both have roller skates. I'm like, okay, fine. So we get roller skates, and of course, here's me, like, trying not to face plant when I try to break, you know, with that, like, toe break. And... He's a roller skating whiz. This guy is like skating circles around me. I'm not having fun at all. But, you know, I learned from that process, okay, I don't like someone who is going to force me into one particular area. I want someone who's going to take my opinion into consideration. And it's the same thing with jobs. You know, if, if you have a job that, you know, maybe is very mathematical-based, but you're a very creative person, you don't have the right tools to do that job well. You're roller skating when you're a rollerblader. You're about to fall all over yourself. But if you get those rollerblades or you get into that job where you can be creative, you're going to be a lot more successful and a lot more happy because you're in a job that fits what you like. And the only way to figure that out is to go on those bad dates and fall over yourself on roller skates. But And, and I've done the same thing in my career as well where you, know, you think, oh, I, I have to be in this job year or two years or a certain amount of time or it's going to look bad or, or you're going to think I don't know what I'm doing. Well, you know, none of us really know what we're doing. We're figuring it out as we go. But if you're miserable, if it's not a match, you learn what you're there to learn. Go forth with that growth and, and do the next thing you're supposed to do. It's it's okay to make a change that's, that's from something that's not fitting to something that makes sense for you. I mean, you don't keep dating someone for years after you know you can't stand going on a date with them because you know they don't like the same food or they roller skate or rollerblade, you don't continue to date that person. Why do we continue to tell ourselves I have to stay in this job so it looks good on my resume? No, go do what you love. There's not enough time in the world. There's not enough time in life to, to be in a miserable job. And frankly, you're not gonna do well in it either because your energy is not gonna match what you could be doing if you were in a position to make you happy. Absolutely. So that, that actually brings me back to uh, one of my first jobs. So uh, first job, I was with one of the big three, and uh, and I was just an internship labor one. And quite frankly, they had me come uh, at a desk all summer, and I was developing uh, layouts on, on CAD. So I was I was sedentary all summer, <laughs> looking at looking at drawings, and. I realized then that this this was not for me. <laughs> this is this is not what I wanted to do. 
And I remember talking to my boss and basically letting him know that if I were to come back next summer, it's going to be completely different. <laughs> okay? And, and, you know, I wanted to kind of see uh, what he would say, you know, get his, get his vibe. And he said, you know, Austin, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're, you're being uh, underutilized and, and, you know, we're definitely going to get you um, doing something else, uh, you know, next summer. And, and they did. Uh, you know, next summer I had a uh, supervisory role and I was uh, ripping running on the floor. And uh, actually it was another, um, I'll say co-intern, I was doing scut work. <laughs> so they had somebody fill my position. But you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, you don't want to be stuck with those rubber states, okay? Especially when you know, you know deep down, this is not, this is not for you, okay? And you, you know, it's so funny. I think, uh, especially as a, uh, as millennials, you know, we, we've heard our parents and, you know, grandparents say, you know, uh, you know, get that good job and, and stick with it. You know, my, my dad, he, he worked with, uh, you know, a company for 25 years. And I think that we have absorbed all of this. We've seen it and we, to some degree, have been programmed to think, all right, we got out of college, check. All right, we found a good job, check. Now we try to stick with it and uh, just uh, take whatever it is for what it is. And I think at one point that was, uh, it was a sound strategy, okay? Uh, because, you know, you didn't have all this uh, connectivity. You didn't know about the job, dream job down the street, you know, uh, and you actually wanted to you know, have some level of stability. So you went to keep that job regardless of you know, how uh, awful <laughs> it may have been. So I, I kind of get the perspective, especially way back when, but this day and age, I mean, honestly, you're, you're a search away from, you know, that, that job that you may want to do. So Yeah, and a lot of times I'll call it kind of the the tragedy of the shoulds. So a lot of the times we, we should all over ourselves. We say, oh, well, I should stay in this job for X amount of time, or I should be at this point in my career. And that's where you fall into that comparison trap of, well, you know, my peers started and they've been working at the same company for seven years and they've gotten promoted twice. Like, what if I had just sat still in that job that wasn't that great, but it was fine and gotten promoted a couple times? Like, it would have been so much easier than, you know, this this trying to figure out the right thing. But there's a reason why you want what you want. There's a reason why you have goals that are, frankly, sometimes a lot bigger than other people's goals. You see this world that can exist. You see this future for yourself that not a lot of people can imagine. So the fact that you have those goals, you're willing to fight through the ugly parts, the ups and downs, the figuring it out that frankly is a little painful to get to what you actually want. But we get caught in that, am I not doing it right? Am I not far enough in my career? Am I not, am I not where I should be? And then we start into those shoulds and kind of fall into this negative or, or depressed mindset where we're thinking, I'm not where I should be. I didn't. I didn't do it right. I, I messed it up, and now I'm stuck with it. You're never stuck with it. You're never too old. It's never too late to start over. I can't tell you how many people you look at uh, med school, you look at law school. Most of the average age is over 35 or over 45 because people figured it out. They figured out. I don't love what I do, and I really want to be an attorney. I really want to be a doctor. And they go back and they start over, and they're in their you know midlife. They're not young, they're, they're starting over, and, and especially for med school, you're going to school for 10 years before you actually get to start doing that. So it's okay to take that time, whatever your time frame looks like, 
because you have those end goals that are things that people just can't even imagine. There's this this life that you see for yourself, this future that is frankly beyond some people's ability to imagine. And you pushing forward towards that, you can't compare to other people because other people don't have that imagination for the future that you have. When I started out, I knew I wanted to be an engineer. I got into industry. And then I started noticing that hey you know I like people I like to, to manage people uh, you know and I had the technical ability so uh, my next natural progression was uh, management uh, in my mind and you know I looked around uh, you know I was just fresh faced you know young bud just uh, got out of school you know pretty recently and I thought to myself um, you know I'm, I'm just too young for this uh, you know there's no way you know, I, don't, I don't fit the molds right um, at this particular point and honestly, I, had, I carried on this paradigm for a couple of years, a couple of years, um, even though I knew deep down, you know, I, I want to manage, I want to do it, and I couldn't do it. It wasn't until, I, honestly, this, this is me being completely franker, it wasn't until I met uh, this, uh, or I didn't meet, there, there was another guy who started the same year uh, as I did, uh, coming out, and, you know, I knew the guy, you know, we'd work together. And uh, this particular guy, yeah, he, he was pretty good, uh, you know, but uh, you know, I don't want to take anything from him. And, uh, you know, he uh, made it up to the management level. And I was thinking to myself, holy smokes, you know, not only did we start together, but this guy was actually a year younger than I was, <laughs> okay? And I'm thinking, okay, so maybe I need to kind of get over my stuff <laughs> and really go for it. So I uh, ended up getting the uh, MBA, um, you know, uh, just to make sure that I had that uh, visceral uh, background and I wanted to be at the performance level that uh, I saw fit uh, so that I could do uh, the job properly. But uh, honestly, if I would have kind of came to that conclusion, you know, if I would have turned that should into a, you know, will sooner, I think I would have made it um, to that position, you know, year sooner. Yeah, I find, especially on the coaching side, the biggest barrier to people getting what they want is that they never try to get it. And and I've been, I've done this myself as well. Um, you know, I always told my cousin when we were growing up, I was like, I'm going to go to Harvard. I grew up kind of right around Harvard. I was like, I'm going to go to Harvard. I'm going to go there for law school or grad school. Go to Harvard. And I never applied. And, and it ended up being because, you know, different things happened in my life. I ended up going the MBA track versus going to law school. But, you know, my cousin called me a couple years um, after we were uh, graduating from college. And she was looking at uh, doing a master's program. And she called me and she's like, you know, I, I'm probably not going to go. Um, but I got into Harvard. I didn't, I didn't want you to be upset. And I was like, why would I be upset that you got into Harvard? And she's like, well, you've always talked about going there. Like, yeah, but I can't go there if I never apply. <laughs> so it's, you know, most people think, oh my gosh, well, that's, that's too hard for me. And they, they self-fail. They stop themselves before they ever start. I've done the same thing multiple times where I found myself saying, hey, you know, well, why me? Why why am I good enough to do that? And so I started, and, th- and there's some strategies to switch that mindset as well in the job digging book, but it's going from that why me to why not me. What am I missing? You know, if it's if it's having that MBA to feel like you're ready to manage people, go get the MBA. 
do whatever small steps or, or learning or growth you need to do to feel ready for that. But there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to reach out and grab it. Because most people, most people don't regret not trying something. Most people regret, um, you know, they don't say like, oh, you know, I, I applied that and I didn't get it, so I really regret applying. No, they say I regret never having tried. I regret never having reached for that thing I would have been so happy to have, I would have been so excited to do, because I felt like, well, I'm not good enough yet, or I don't know enough yet. So taking that mindset shift from, okay, why me, why, why, why would they even think about me, why am I good enough, and changing that to why not me, and that'll open up some of those things that maybe you're missing, maybe it's, you know, say you want to be in warehousing and you need a Six Sigma certification, well, why not me, because I'm not certified in Six Sigma, that just gave you exactly what to do, so that you can fix that why not me, and now there's why not me. I don't know, there's no reason now, because I fixed that why not. There's a concrete thing versus it being an emotional attachment, there's something I can do to fix that so I can go after that goal and actually achieve it. You know, the more and more I think about it, if people actually did compare their work life to dating, I believe more people would be a lot happier in their lives. Because, think about it, if there's someone you are dating, (laughs) or there's someone you are um, in a serious relationship with, but you know this person for whatever reason, you, you know they're not the one. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to tie the knot. I mean, there's going to be some breaking point, and you are going to break it off, right? And you know, I, I think that with relationships, we ask ourselves, or we're, we're more critical of the long term, right? What what's going to make us happier? long term. So honestly, the more I think about it, the more it makes sense to uh, rationalize, uh, you know, the work life with, uh, with dating. You know, my dad, he actually gave me some advice. He had worked for a um, company 25 years. And honestly, one of the things he told me uh, after retiring was, man, I wish I didn't work for this company for, for 25 years. <laughs> you know, I wish I would have, you know, kind of gone off and did my own thing. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, with, with this train of thought, Dad, you mean you were you were married to somebody for 25 years that you really didn't like? <laughs> that, that's how that went down? Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny because, you know, you have that dating period where you're trying to figure out okay, what's my life, what type of person do I want to hang out mm-hmm. with? But, you know, everybody who's asked me, so I am married, um, but everybody who's asked me, like, how did, how did you know he really wanted? How did you know he was the person you wanted to spend your life with? My answer is always... He makes me the best version of myself. He brings out the best parts of my personality, of my abilities, of my goals. And you don't think about that in terms of job. You're not like, oh, well, this this job brings out the best worker in me and makes me excited to go to work. It makes me you know, more creative, more analytical, more excited to make an impact on the world. I feel like you know, I'm leaving the world a better place than I found it when I started that job. You don't think of a job that way. You think, yeah, you know, gave me enough salary and enough vacation time to not work. <laughs> Which, that's great, too, and it's definitely important. But does it make you the best version of yourself? I mean, if you think about it, you're spending, we say eight hours a day, but frankly, it's probably more like eight to ten hours a day, five to six days a week. You're spending more time with that job and that function and those people 
then you do the person you actually marry. So if they're not making you the best version of yourself, they're not making you happy, you're spending most of your time with someone you're basically going to divorce. So, you know, having that having that feeling, especially in hindsight of, oh my gosh, I worked with her for 30 years, yeah, now I get a you know, pension or retirement, and I get to enjoy my life. I don't want to do something for 30 years I hate. I'd rather get up and go to work and be excited. And I've definitely had those jobs where on Sunday night, man, you start getting heart palpitations. Oh, you gotta go work tomorrow. Laying out your clothes, you're making lunch for the next day, you're like, you can do this, it's gonna be fine. I just had this one meeting, we gotta get through that. When you're starting to have those conversations with yourself in your brain, yes, not every day at work is gonna be your favorite day. But every Sunday, you shouldn't be having a mini heart attack because you gotta start going back to work the next day. And, and for me, it's been physically unhealthy where, you know, I've been walking into work and my heart rate's so high, I'm like, I'm really gonna do less of it because. I'm, you know, I'm so stressed out about it that my body is getting sick because it's it's reacting to not being happy, and and that's a, a really good indicator for me. I had this one job that that I had been in for <clears throat> about six months, and typically anywhere from month two to three, um, I'll usually start changing how I how I say things at work. So instead of saying, you know, I used to do it this way or, you know, how we did it at my last company, I'll change my verbiage to the way we do it or how we do it here. You know, you change those pronouns at some point because you adopt the culture and you feel like, okay, I'm part of something new now. I'm not, you know, an individual coming into this external area. I'm now part of this company or part of this culture. And this particular job, it was six months in and I have changed. I was still saying, this is how I did it in my last role or how I've done it in the past. And I remember walking into work and I was holding um, two bowls that I used for cereal, like in the crux of my arm. And one of the bowls uh, fell out of my arm and, and smashed into me. And I remember thinking, like, I just wanted to take this other bowl and slam it down. And I am not typically an angry person at all. And I remember thinking, like, I need to know. This is. I don't feel like the best version of myself. I don't feel like myself at all at this point. Yeah. Um, I don't want to walk into work. I want to, you know, slam this bowl down and walk out. Um, and so I, I quit about a week later. I said, this just doesn't, it's not worth it. It's just not worth that feeling of, of extreme anger, extreme stress, or not feeling like myself at work. You know, I, I typically feel like I bring some fun to work. I feel like you know, a positive person at work, and I was not that at all. And that wasn't worth the time, frankly. I, you know, I'd rather figure out a different direction than go to work every day and feel like slamming down bowls. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, once you um, reach the slam down bowls levels, it's, it's time to make a change. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure um, more of us have been there than we'd like to admit. And uh, actually, I want to reference, um, I was reading this book by uh, Jasmine uh, Haley, uh, was breakthrough to, to excellence, and she references this uh, this study that was done. I think it was by a BCG, uh, Boston Consulting, and they surveyed a thousand people, and they basically uh, asked if they felt um, anxious or burnt out at work. And of that population, seventy-seven percent of the group said that they had felt some type of or some level of burnout. 
and when uh, they segmented that um, the sample size down to only the millennial population, uh, it actually went up to 83%. <laughs> wow. So yeah, there's there's definitely something going on. So, you know, watch yeah. out, watch out for those bowls at work. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, but but and that kind of ties back to that comparison trap and, and the tragedy of the shoulds. You're you're going in thinking I I should be doing this. I I, I have to work hard. I have to do my part, just like I was taught to do. And you miss some of that relational piece of okay, I have to communicate what I'm doing to my manager so that he or she knows I'm working hard. I need to interact with my peers differently so I become part of that culture and. Yes, I want to. I have to want to do those things because I care to be here because I love what I'm doing, or I, you know, I feel passionate about the purpose that we have here, or you know, the products we're making, or the experience we're bringing to people. There has to be some connection to that, or it's just it, it feels a little bit more forced. You're not as authentic when you show up to work and you're worried about, okay, am I doing it right? And you're not enjoying what you're doing. You know, that's where. Okay, maybe I should start asking myself questions of okay, what do I love about this job? What do I not like about this job? How do those lists measure up? Is one do I have way more dislikes about the job than I do likes? Do I have things that are, you know, maybe it's a shorter list of dislikes, but they're bigger, more important things to me. Um, it's the silliest thing, but but earlier in my career when I was in warehousing, I loved the fact that it was very cost focused, that we were saving money that we're trying to make these more efficient. It was very problem-solving, which I absolutely love. But frankly, I hated wearing a hairnet to work every day. It just wasn't my jam. I didn't want to wear a hairnet to work. I wanted to, at that point in time, put on a suit and go to work and you know, feel important. And, and it, it, it's the smallest thing, but it was enough for me to say, maybe warehousing isn't where my passion lies. So what takes those problem-solving pieces, that efficiency, that cost-saving, what takes that and puts it in a suit in an office. <laughs> so even though, you know, the list of likes was much bigger than my list of dislikes, that dislike was big enough to me to say, I don't know that I can see myself doing this in 30 years. And it's funny because in that particular industry, a lot of people started right out of college or, or right out of high school and they worked their way up. And I was working for a district manager who had been working there his entire career. And he sat me down and he looked at me and he said, can't you see yourself doing this in 30 years? And he was excited and he was like, isn't this great? And I remember looking at him and I was like, no, I don't. I don't <laughs> see myself doing this in 30 years. I can't say that in 30 years, looking back, I would think my 20-year-old self would be proud to be doing this. And it's not because that was a bad position or a, a bad industry or even a bad career path. It just wasn't the one that was for me. And if you can't think about, okay, I would love to be doing this in 30 years. And my, you know, 50 year old self would be so proud of my 20 year old self. If you can't see that, there's a reason. And it's digging into that reason to figure out, okay, is it just I don't want to wear a hairnet to work every day? And if it's silly, that's fine. But it's your version of silly. I mean, there's plenty of people, going back to that dating example, where like, you know, I wanted to date someone who was taller than me. I'm not a very tall person, so it's not a hard thing to do. But if that's important to you, it doesn't matter if it's silly that you want someone to be taller than you or that it's, you know, a, a conditional requirement. But 
that's what's important to you. And it's enough that you would say, you know what, you're two inches shorter than me. I don't think this is going to work out because it's going to bother me forever. It's the same thing. It's that haircut example. I think it bothered me to wear that haircut to work every day just like it would have bothered me to date someone shorter than me. So it doesn't have to be rational. It doesn't have to be this big reason. It can be something silly. It can be something that just bothers you that makes you make that change. Absolutely, absolutely. And no, you, you, you touched on a lot here, but I wanted to talk. Uh, touch on the communication part. So if you are uh, a working printer job and there is uh, something you don't like, uh, honestly speak up, say something about it, you know, and also um, let folks know about your accomplishments, let people know what you're doing Um, and and really uh, try to become one with that culture, try to, try to, um, you know, obviously don't force fit, Uh, you'll you'll feel it if if that particular position is your fit, but uh, you know, things don't have to be, you know, stagnant. Things can change and evolve. I really had that light bulb moment. Um, I was working for a, a corporation, and I was ready for that next level. There was a senior specialist position that I wanted to apply for, and it just come open. I was like, wow, well, you know, I'm a top performer. Like, absolutely, I'm a shooting for this position. And I sat down with my leader, and I remember telling her, like, oh, you know, I want to apply for this position. You know, will you sign off on it? Because you have to get manager approval. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I came into this conversation thinking, like, oh, this is going to break. And she'd be like, oh, absolutely. You know, let me know when you apply. And instead of that answer, she gave me this laundry list of things I wasn't doing. And I remember the whole time I was like, oh, but I do that, but I do that, but I do that. And, and I really kind of, realize more of this as, as a people leader, but your manager is busy. Everybody's busy. And if you're not causing a problem, if you're not someone they have to focus on because things aren't working or they're training you or something, they're not worried about you unless something's exploding. So they might not notice that you're doing those things. They might not notice that, that hey, you're solving all these problems, so I never have to worry about these problems. So I started really managing my manager and saying, okay, you know, I'm hearing you say that I need to do X. I'm going to work on X by doing this. Um, and then in the next touch base saying, you know, we talked about me working on X. I said I was doing this to work on it. I feel like I could afford in this way. Um, are we on the same page or, or do you feel like that addresses that X issue that we had? And it, it's, it's not a brand new thing. It's very much a, we talked about this, here's how I'm addressing it. We're sharing those wins, because if you think about it, your job hopefully makes your manager look good, because you're doing a good job. So if you send them wins like, hey, this problem came up, here's how I solved it, just wanted to keep it in the loop, that's something they can easily forward to their leader and say, look what my team's doing. It not only makes them look good, it makes you look good, and it tells your manager she's a problem solver. I don't have to worry about her because she's going to see a problem, fix a problem, and just tell me when it's done. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> you know, they're going to see you as someone who makes their job easier, but you have to communicate those things, and you have to make sure you're saying, you know, if there is something that you want me to work on or there's a growth path, here's how I'm addressing them frequently. Um, and, and that addresses that communication piece of not only sharing your wins, uh, but also sharing how you're working on things they told you to work on. Now, the next time that position came up, 
I was ready for it. I was ready for it before, but this time I was ready for it, and my leader knew I was ready for it and put me more and more without me even asking. So that small difference, and there really wasn't much of a change in my work. The change was how I was managing my manager and how I was communicating what I was doing. Exactly, and, and that piece of it goes both ways. So if you are a manager, understand how uh, you're being perceived, how you're communicating with your direct reports, and uh, also those with managers, understand how you are coming off, and are you are you uh, bolstering your wings? It's not a braggy <laughs> thing, right? It's um, really uh, you know consideration. Your, your boss wants to know what you're doing, and obviously you know you do want to make your boss uh, look good. That's always a good thing. Um, I was like to uh, a friend of mine to, to relate that back to the dating world. Yeah. A friend of mine, uh, her husband has what she calls the good spectrum. And what happened was when they first got married, she would make dinner and she would say, well, what do you think about that dinner? Was it, you know, was it your favorite? Should I make that recipe again? And he'd be like, oh, it was good. She was like, okay, it was good. All right, what does that mean? Does that mean it wasn't great? Does that mean I shouldn't make it again? What does that mean? So then the next dinner, she'd ask, you know, what did you think of that recipe? Was it, was it your favorite? Do you want me to make it again? Well, that one was good. Well, here, like, 20 years later, she finally said, you know, I, I don't understand. What do you need for a great recipe? What's your favorite meal? How do I get to that favorite meal? Am I not, you know, do you not like my cooking? Should we eat out more? Like, what's going on? And he goes, I've told you it's good. What do you, what's the problem? She's like, what do you mean good? Well, good to her meant just above really bad. <laughs> fantastic you know the best thing I've ever eaten that was the top of the scale for her whereas his scale was bad good and that's it so it was either good or bad there wasn't like my favorite meal ever there wasn't this you know she had all these words in the middle that, that described better meals and so she thought I'm not making good food he doesn't like what I'm making but he was saying, it's good. I enjoy it. Your cooking's great. What's the problem? We have that same communication gap in the work world. I mean, and I think I really realized this when I traveled more overseas because you have a legitimate communication gap in terms of language, but we have that same communication gap using English. A lot of times I started putting things like, okay, you know, what does good mean to you? into statements so it's you know here's what this means to me is that also what this means to you because some of that communication gap is that i think it's one thing and you think it's something else but we're using the same word so you know don't have that that good meal for the entirety of your career you can have that fantastic best meal i've ever had if you communicate that good is just about crappy to you and you want you know, the best job you've ever had you know, that story really illustrates the need for, um, you know, communication and really to understand how people are uh, kind of absorbing their, their inputs. So, th thank you very much for that. That was, that was excellent. Um, Jessica, there are a couple things I, I do want to touch on uh, real quick. This idea of relational intelligence within the workforce, to me, again, is very new. However, I have done something similar to it in, uh, in business, right? So uh, it was my first retail business. And what I would do is I would segment my customers into uh, different um, different groups and, and very, very similar to kind of how you do it. Uh, you know, I had the, uh, what I call it, the one night standards. So those people that, um, you know, just wanted one item, 
and uh, you know they really didn't want any more communication. They didn't want to buy anything else. Um, and you know I also had um, a group that I called the, uh, the the married population. Right, this is a population that wants to know all the new products. They wanted to uh, you know get all the newsletters and actually want to help the brand um, build. Right, and I think that by me understanding where different customers were, it gave me a better idea of how to uh, how to market to them, right? How do I turn these one-night standards into more casual relationships, right? Mm-hmm. How do I uh, keep the uh, married couple happy, right? <laughs> you know, just continue to feed them information. So um, I-, I think that there are so many different applications to this and Really, um, if you think about it and break it down, there are significant benefits to um, really zeroing in and understanding where you are and how you feel and, and what your position is, whether that be within a relationship, you know, within business, within work, um, and, and that really allows you to make some um, better decisions for you. Absolutely, and yeah, that's what it's really set up for. It's not only to give you a little bit more peace in the process, so if you're stuck in that, I'm not where I should be, I'm looking at my peers and I've messed it up or I'm stuck. It's to help you get past that and give yourself a little bit of grace that your process is not known by everybody else's process. And sometimes that's because your process is going somewhere that they're never going to go. But then past that, what are the strategies and specifics to work through? Okay, how now I know that, how do I get to that next level? How do I achieve those goals? What steps do I need to take to make sure that I can get there better, faster, more. Um, and that's really what the book breaks down is not only an understanding of what's going on and where you are, but once you have that piece of understanding, moving forward into how do I get to that next level and how do I do it in a time period that I'm very comfortable with. Yeah, I will be uh, checking out this book uh, very soon. Um, with that being said, how, how do we get the book? And, and also, how do we get in touch with you? Sure. So I have a website called InvincibleSparkle.com. Um, all of my resources are there. You can also, under the shop tab, there's the courses. Uh, there's a link to get the book. Uh, there's also some free resources if you're not quite ready to dig in with co- coaching your courses yet. Um, and then you can also get uh, a link to the book from the Instagram page. So it's Invincible underscore Sparkle for that piece. Um, both things uh, link to Amazon, so if you search on Amazon Job Dating by Jessica Foudy, that'll also come up, and it both, both has a paperback version or a Kindle version. And as I said at the beginning of this podcast, um, I am running a free Kindle download day for you guys, uh, especially for this particular podcast group. So I will have that link not only on my Instagram, also on my website, but if you download that Kindle version, for you to stay only. Um, so it gives you a way to kind of dig in and, and get your feet wet and, and get some of those strategies. Um, and then there's also free resources and videos and things on that Sparkle website. Excellent. Again, that was um, Invincible underscore Sparkle. For those that want to follow on social, and please do. I mean, her, her content, Jessica, your content is is wonderful. Your 60, spe- 60 seconds with Sparkle. I, I try to catch it every time, so well, keep, keep that coming. <laughs> All right. And uh, no, thank you. Uh, you know, I appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, we, we've got to 
we gotta get you back. I'll uh, go ahead and give you some feedback after I re- reviewed the, uh, the job dating book. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate no that. Problem. Yeah, and, and leave, leave reviews. I know those are always mm-hmm. helpful on Amazon as well. It's, it's been wonderful speaking with you and, and getting to know a little bit more about your community. And I hope it helps. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Jessica. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.